Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 104 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Rochelle Sadie. She is a teacher and she's also an advocate for victims of betrayal, trauma, and abuse. And so we're we're going to just, first of all, welcome Rochelle to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to do this. So Rochelle and I actually live in the same neck of the woods here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of fascinating. I think you're yeah. the first person I've interviewed that's actually like, you're in like a neighbor. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes. Yep. And it's snowing today. So <laughs> yes, it is very gloomy and depressing. Yes. This weekend. Minnesota experience. <laughs> totally. And my kids are gone this weekend. So it feels so, I don't know, it feels kind of quiet and lonely and sad. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I know the no sun thing doesn't really help us, does it? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Okay, so I'm actually, even while you are, you know, introducing yourself and helping our listeners get to know you, I'm actually getting to know you as well. So let's just dive in. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why this subject, why teaching about this subject and learning about betrayal, trauma, and sexual addiction is so important to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I've... uh... First of all, I've been a teacher for 10 years. So um, if you hear my little teacher voice come out, (laughs) I apologize. I have to transition between teaching adults and children. (laughs) um, Yeah, so I I love to teach. My heart is through teaching. And it's it's neat to see how um, God took some really deep tragedy in my life and is still using that for good and allowing me to use that gifting of teaching. But um, so I was, I was married for um, 11 years. Um, I actually grew up in a pastor's home, so I'm a PK. Um, and I didn't know anything about trauma. I had never heard the word trauma. I had never heard the word betrayal. Trauma, um, I was a pretty, I guess you could say, innocent, naive kid growing up, very um, sheltered. Um, but little did I realize that there was um, a lot of evil happening in my own home um, and grew up, um, did what was expected of women, uh, girls in the church, especially I think pastor's kids are groomed. Some pastor's kids are groomed in a certain way where you grow up, you go to college, you get a Mrs. degree and you come back and you mm. support your husband's ministry. And I saw, that's what I saw from my mom and dad. That's what I saw from my grandpa and grandma. It was just generational. And so I just assumed that's what my purpose in life was. Um, So I married the first boy that I dated in high school. Um, My first year of marriage, I caught him looking at pornography and I was completely devastated. Um, It still kind of makes me tear up no matter how many times I share that story, um, just to think of this 22-year-old little girl um, being very confused and very betrayed by something that she saw her husband, who's supposedly supposed to love her and cherish her and honor her, um, what he was doing. Um, 
at that time I went, I ran to um, my mom and dad um, thinking, okay, they're pastors. They're going to know what to do. We work in the church. They'll know how to handle this. Um, when I did that, I was met with the advice, well, you need to go home and have more sex with him. How often are you giving him sex? Um, newly married men need to have sex like a lot. And that's your job. You need to continue talking to him. You need to, you need to stay. God calls you to forgive. Um, and so I went back with my tail between my legs, completely devastated. Um, this 22 year old little girl who knew nothing, I was isolated and alone for the next like nine years in my marriage. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. I had no resources. I had no community. I had no idea what sexual addiction was. And then over the next nine years, I heard five different disclosures over and over of what my husband was doing. Um, he actually didn't even start the process of supposedly recovering until year eight. But within that time of isolation, within those eight years, I was so, it is, I don't know how to describe to people who have never experienced this, but being married was the loneliest experience I've ever had in my mm. life. Um, it was horrible. And I love what Leslie Vernick says. She says, indifference is the opposite of love. And it's so true. Yeah. Um, so just that pain of not being able to connect to my husband, not understanding why he's controlling me through anger and um, anger explosion. So while that isolation was going on and this secret sexual addiction is just festering on, you know, behind closed doors and I'm not in my brain, I'm like, okay, um, I caught him. So he's dealing with it. I had no idea how to protect myself or what I was dealing with. Um, our, our, our marriage got more and more abusive with emotional and verbal abuse, um, name calling. Um, I would confront him to try to seek safety. Like, you know, Hey, could we do the budget together? Hey, could we, I don't know, maybe read this book together. Hey, could we go out on a date? Could you just spend time with me? Could you, and just anger explosions at me asking, Hey, what are we doing with our life? Hey, where are we going as a couple? Hey, what are our goals? <laughs> right. So things that healthy couples discuss and do. Um, and I was met with why you got to control me. Um, you know, the typical, um, feedback you get from someone who's trying to hide something. Um, and so there were a few moments in our marriage where I confronted him and, um, he was physically violent and choked me. Um, and so at that point I was like, this is, this is not right. I cannot live like this anymore. I would go back to my dad um, and my mom a few times during that portion of our marriage. And I didn't know that I was describing abuse, but I knew something was wrong. And my parents' response to that should have tipped me off that, hey, something was also wrong in your childhood, Rochelle. And now you're seeing the effects of that as an adult. Right. Um, but their response to me was, well, what did you do to cause him to choke you? Well, how, what role are you playing in this? Well, how you're confronting everybody else, but how come you're not taking responsibility? 
So um, just a lot of re-victimization. We saw a couple um, counselors throughout our time, and I was met with the same responses. Um, one counselor told me that I needed to allow the computer back because we just have to learn to live with temptation. Another counselor um, said, well, he, he literally turned to my ex-husband and said, well, sometimes women just, they're just so angry. They can't see reality. And at that point, wow. yeah. I, and so just some really, really um, bad experiences um, with even trying to seek help. So here I am, this little girl who's been betrayed over and over. I, I have no one to go to. My parents don't understand um, and so I just kind of spent 10, nine years in just a fog, um, in just a fog. And so, um, as I began to recover, that's when I started reading material and it was like, oh, this is me. And things just started clicking. And, and this was something that I never, the church never helped me with this, but then all of a sudden this new world was opening up to me where everything I could relate to everything in the abuse material that I started reading. So, so were you going to the same church that your parents were pastoring at the time? Yes. yes. Yeah, I, I was, I was. And, um, I don't know if we'll have time to get into this, but, um, I, I did end up going back and confronting them about the abuse within the church. Um, my, ex-husband was training to be a youth pastor. And part of the problem um, from addiction, they can't finish anything. They can't commit to anything. So mm -hmm. he never finished that. He never, um, he never was able to uh, com complete that process, but was just always back and forth. But because my dad was a pastor on staff, he would volunteer and disciple under my dad. So while all of this sexual addiction is going on, my parents know that the marriage is unhealthy and that there was a sexual addiction. My ex-husband is being promoted within the church to work with the youth ministry, to serve on the elder board, um, to have a say in, in the worship services. And meanwhile, I'm just drowning in isolation and silence and dying on the vine. Yeah, I don't, I, I will never, ever, as long as I live, be able to understand the lack of consistency in their moral judgment yeah. of things. You know, that, that they would say that you are an angry person for coming forward to say that your husband's hurting you, but, but he can certainly have a sexual addiction. He can do all of this thing, all yeah. of these things, and he's just fine. We'll just have yeah. him take leadership roles in the church and everything's yeah. great. Yeah, and it's and it stems from just either either a hardness of heart where there's like true narcissism there on my father's part or whoever is in leadership, and there's just a complete hardness of heart, and there's no Holy Spirit, or it's just outright denial because the pain of facing reality is too hard, and, and so it's easier to just let's stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend it never happened. So yeah. with my, with my dad, especially if there's more skin in the game, oh my word, we're a pastor's family. And so that was part of the betrayal from childhood is I heard the party line all the time. You will not tell anyone what happens in this home. You are a pastor's wow. kid. You will live above reproach. We do not 
we, we do not share what happens in this home. And so there was always this standard of, I was taught that church is a place where you protect your image at all costs. Mm. When really what Jesus came to say was, I came to set captives free. And, and the church mm. now has said, oh no, we're here to hide all the captives and make sure that they look really good. Like the, you know, how Jesus describes the clean cup on the outside, but inside yeah. is completely dirty. Yeah. And, and what was so, I had to grieve so much for the loss of my parents because I mm-hmm. had to grieve. These are people, I, I thought I had parents who were one way, but in reality, they're this way. Mm-hmm. And that is a loss that it's, it's like the deepest form of betrayal that you could ever endure. Um, well, and when you're a child growing up with parents that are doing that, that uh, children don't know no. that there's any other options out there. They, exactly. they just believe that their parents, they have to believe that their parents love them and have their best interest in mind because that's how we survive mentally yeah. and emotionally. Yeah. So they have to believe that. So it is such a betrayal when you get older and you realize, whoa, yeah. my parents really didn't, Number yeah. one, they didn't know. They didn't have the education they needed. But number two, even when they had the opportunity to have the education, they didn't want it. Exactly. They really didn't want it. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the hard part about grieving, grieving the loss of someone who is still alive. So we either have to say and understand, okay, this person is actually, you know, the firsthand victim. The enemy stole their identity as well. It's that generational curses. It's yeah. passed down through the father. And we understand that they're broken too, but then you get to a point where, okay, but I've shown you the truth and you are still refusing to join me out in the light. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they continue to say, no, come here, Rochelle. We don't like the light. Come, come back, get it, get in line. You need to get in line. You stepped out of the box and you rocked the boat and we need you to come back because you've destroyed our image. And so yeah. now we're talking about, so is this, so is this, God, God says that he hates pride and he doesn't hear the prayers of a prideful man. And so, so are we talking about someone? Yes, they're wounded, but do they have the Holy Spirit? Are they, <laughs> are, can they accept the truth when it's presented to them? So part of my re- recovery process was, um, I, I call it breaking the denial bubble. I needed someone to help me to pop that bubble with a needle and the veil came off of my eyes. And I started um, through, I I had joined a betrayal trauma support group um, early on when I was, it was about the last two years of my marriage. I had started that and, and we're talking about abuse in the, in the workbook. And I had written a letter to my mom and dad confronting them about um, some things that I was uncomfortable with. And I didn't know it was abuse at the time. I was just trying to share my heart. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a mentor uh, read it for me. And she just, she sat down and she was like, honey, this is abuse. And f- I, for the next year, I would text her at the most random times <laughs> of the day or night. And I would say, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know this was sexual abuse. I didn't know this was domestic violence. I didn't know that my mom abused. I didn't know. And so in order for a woman to even begin her healing process, 
we have to deal in reality. We have to come to grips with, oh my word, this is my life. And I remember having another moment very early on in my recovery where I was sitting in my bedroom. It was right after my husband had told me of another relapse. He's still in his addiction. Every time this happens, the rug gets pulled out from under my feet. I have no safety. I can't feel the ground. I, I, it implodes your world. I remember sitting on my bed and writing in my journal, my name is Rochelle. I'm married to a sex addict. And I, I believe that it was at that point when I really just, this is, this is real. And so now what am I going to do about it? Yes. And I love the quote. There's a quote that says, a really strong woman knows how to take the stones that other people threw at her and build her foundation. And, wow, I and love I, that. Yeah, and I just, that really sounded so real and true for me because here I was living this, you know, this journey of 32 years of betrayal um, from not only my primary caregivers, but then from an intimate partner. I don't, I don't stand a chance. You know, how I don't even, I don't even, still some days I'm like, how am I not in the fetal position? Right, <laughs> like, right. I'm out somewhere, like, <laughs> But um, it's through God's mercy of breaking that denial, that bubble of denial, lifting the veil from my eyes. Okay, this happened. Now, what am I going to do about it? And that's what resilient people can do is they can say, this is what was done to me. It is not fair. It is wrong. It's an injustice. And my heavenly father is crying for me. But now what are we going to do to build our life back? And, and I think um, it's very possible for women to do that with the power of community and validation and knowledge and understanding that, that it, can, it can happen. That's very powerful. I, I really think we should drive home to this idea that, what, that you brought out so perfectly that you don't realize that it's abuse. You do, you, you just don't realize it. And, and when you first hear that and you, I remember the first time that I sat and thought, you know, my mom used to hit me and scream at me yeah. like a lot. I remember yeah. a lot of it. And yeah. when it, when it dawned on me, it wasn't that long ago, actually, that it dawned on me, wait a minute. That's like, if I did that to my kids, yeah. I would be guilty of a, yep. like physical abuse, like domestic yes. violence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that happened yes. to me. Yes. And what happens when you finally break that denial bubble, man, the memories just start flooding. Yes. And, and, and it's so important, something that I would highly recommend if somebody is in this stage of healing where it's like the veil is just lifted and you're like, oh my word, I didn't know. Get yourself a notebook, and every time you you remember something, write it down. Mm -hmm. Write it down. Take it to someone that you trust, someone that's safe, um, maybe a counselor or a trusted mentor, and talk through that situation with them. I was so blessed to be able to work with my mentor. She was my um, teaching assistant for a couple years, and the kids would be out at recess, and we would be in the room, and a memory would come up. And I would start crying and I would say it to her and she would say, honey, that's sexual abuse. And I, no, no, it's not. I didn't, I didn't know. And just, and, and, you know, mm. her reminding me it's, it's okay. 
you're you're here right now with me and we're in the classroom and it's you know it's 2019 we're safe and you know god is just going to be so gentle he's going to be so gentle to show you what you need to see at the exact right time that you need to see it in order for you to heal and so and so trust those things that come out in your memory and document all of them and and if you're scared that you're going to see something that you don't want to see. Like, I believe there's parts of my story that I haven't seen yet. And I think it's just from God's mercy that he, I think denial can serve three purposes. It can, it can protect us because we're not ready. You know, I'm sure you've heard of like um, amnesia, Mm -hmm. Um, amnesia that happens because of abuse. And it's just too much for our brains to take. It could be denial because of hardness of heart. And we, we just refuse to see the truth or to see the light. But I believe there's a slow denial where that denial fades off slowly at the exact time that you can handle it because the Lord created our brains. He knows exactly how they work. He's, he doesn't condemn us for the way that he designed to work. Like he's not going to condemn us for using a system that he designed, <laughs> you know, it's there to protect us. And so that, that, some things might come out slower, slower than other things because it's, it's for your protection. Um, but yeah, that notebook really helped me having a safe person to, to get feedback about what I was remembering to, to, um, validation. We need validation. If we don't have validation, we won't have comfort. And if we don't have comfort, we cannot heal. And so- yeah, I was just going to say along those lines, uh, and I was going to ask you too, did you have, ex- did you experience kickback from other family members? It sounds like you, oh. <laughs> do you have brothers and sisters? Do you yeah. have relatives? Like what, yeah. what was your experience yeah. there? Yeah. So I actually had three different times where I confronted my family. Um, the first time was in person. Um, and that, that was, devastating. So if if you are in recovery and you're someone who's debating, well, should I confront them about this? Should I tell them? Um, Just know that the success in confronting someone is not whether or not they believe you or you get an apology because nine times out of 10, you're probably not going to get an apology. Mm -hmm. The success is that you are becoming autonomous. You are becoming your own person. You are finding your voice. You are using your voice to advocate for that little girl who was betrayed, abandoned, and lost. That is the success of confronting someone in your family, especially. Um, And, and, their their response, while it's going to be very painful, is is really irrelevant. We're not worried about changing them. We're worried about empowering that little girl inside of you who was betrayed. Mm, so when so I, good. Yeah. So when I went back, I went back to to confront three different things. First, the domestic violence I saw as I was growing up in a pastor's home, and then I confronted my mom specifically about her behavior. And it was more, um, cause I'm like you, Natalie, like my mom would just scream at me. Um, and just that constant berating of my personhood over time or mm-hmm. jokes at my expense that just slowly degrade a person's view of themselves over mm-hmm. time, um, and confronting her about that. And it was also a cry for her as a woman, 
mom, from what I know now and from what I saw as a child, I believe our stories are probably very similar. Please talk to me. Please, I want to know your journey as a woman. It was really a, a cry for her to, to be honest with me about, about her journey. But again, she wasn't ready for that. They're not interested in coming to the light. The other time was specifically about the church abuse and the lack of church discipline and how they continued to choose an immoral man over their own daughter. Mm-hmm. So um, when, I, when I did that, uh, what happened was they, I think they told my, my grandpa is like the patriarch of our family. So here's how you know <laughs> that your family is unhealthy and enmeshed. There is so much enmeshment in my family of origin where it's not the I, it's the we. So if you step out of line, you have completely defaced the whole family heritage. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. So when I confronted my parents, what they told me was, um, you ha- this is disrespectful. You have disrespected the family heritage. This is wrong. You are selfish. Um, so at that point, then my grandpa of like a month later sent me a letter um, on official letterhead from the Baptist college that he works at. So there's an intimidation factor right there. And it was just dripping with spiritual abuse. I'm, I'm dishonoring my family, my mother and my father. The Bible says I need to honor my mother and father. Uh, Rochelle, this is, you need to repent of your sin. You need to repent. Why would you trust counselors and support groups? These things are not of God. Only the Bible can heal you. And, and oh, it just went on. You are unforgiving. To not answer your parents' phone calls is cruel. It is evil. And just name-calling from my own grandpa. And the, the worst part of that betrayal was, was it was my mom who betrayed her own daughter. It was like, it was like kind of like taking your daughter and throwing her into a pack of wolves. Yes. And just letting them devour her. And it was, I think that's even above my husband's sexual addiction. That was the worst pain I've ever felt. Yes. In my life. Yeah. I'm it so just, sorry. 
you. And that attachment pain, it just, it doesn't go away because no. the people, the caregivers that we've had, that we've grown up with, we, we have this, God made us for longing and for connection to be delighted in. And so when there's pain, we go to these people to think that they're going to comfort us, to think that they will help us move through pain. And instead they, they betray you. Mm-hmm. They, they can't comfort. They, they call you names. They spiritually abuse. So in addition to my grandpa's letter, man, the flying monkeys flew out of the woodwork. I got phone calls from the head pastor's wife who never talks to me. I got phone calls from my mom and dad's friends. They would leave messages and voicemails. I got phone calls or my aunts would randomly text me Bible verses, but it's under disguise of like, oh, I was reading this in the Bible and well, this just impacted me so much. <laughs> you know that it's like, you know, it's like super passive aggressive. Yes, you know? yes. And, and, um, and meanwhile, these people don't ever call me or don't ever text me. So, you know, right. it has nothing to do with our relationship. We don't even have a relationship. Right. I got letters in the mail from cousins telling me that I needed to repent, that um, it's wrong for me to leave my husband, that they stood up with me on th- my wedding day and they're disappointed in how I'm breaking up my marriage. And and that is a distorted belief that many women um, will carry. I'm breaking up my marriage. Yeah. Um, nope. No, you're not. Who was the original person? Let's put the responsibility back where it belongs. And yeah. so I had to, that was really hard for me. So when that happens, as you're trying to come out and you're trying to advocate for this little girl inside of you have been so betrayed and abandoned, you're, you're gaining access to your adult self so that you can you have choices. You can make decisions. You can. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to live trapped. As you're trying to exercise your freedom and your personal rights, as Jesus intended, as you're trying to live free, then you have all of these people who, who you thought were on your side, who you thought loved you. They are just pouring on this toxic shame. And this toxic shame gets translated into these distorted beliefs that we have about ourselves. And it can really make the process of recovery so much more um, muddy because then we're fighting against our own brain and our own thoughts too. So Right. So what would you say then? I mean, you've been through so much and I can, I'm like sitting in the pool with you because I've been through so many of the same things. Yes. Um, Yes. And it is just, it is kind of a, I mean, I have thought, you know, I think I'm going to have to just be okay with this dark, sad pain inside of me for the rest of my life, because I can't, I can't make this mean anything other than the horrible thing that it means, which is that I, my, the people that you thought would love you your whole life. They like you said, throw, throw you to the wolves. That's exactly it. And and the thing that I can't wrap my brain around too, is that I would never, I would never do this to any of my kids. I mean, I, some of my kids are very challenging and yet I would never take them and throw and just throw them to the wolves and just say, I, I, if you don't do what I want you to do, or if you don't believe what I want you to believe, or if you don't pretend that, uh, that this family is 
<laughs> is Perfect. different. Yeah. And I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Yes. Yeah. Well, and the sick part about that is it's, oh my gosh, it's like, you know how um, in the Bible it says that Satan is the, um, he's like the, what is that verse? Like the, the angel of light. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's my, my, my coach gave me this really good visual. So it's like, um, we, we reach out to our mom, our dad, whoever was our primary caregiver, where we think, okay, comfort, love, affirmation, whatever we're reaching out to them. And, and they look like our mom and dad and our grandparents or whatever, they look like that. But when we touch it, we get electrocuted by this electric fence and our pain shoots up to a level 10. So how imagine what that does to a child's brain, but now I'm an adult woman and now I associate love with pain. Right. Because every time I touch the fence, it looks, it looks like comfort and validation, but it's, it's toxic. It's, it's going to shock me. And, and I, and my pain shoots up to a level 10 every time I touch that. So now my brain has, not only am I detoxing from all of these distorted beliefs and I'm trying to break free from this cultural system in the church of patriarchy and, and, um, you know, abuse and, and sexual addiction and all of this. So I'm trying to break free from that. I'm trying to reach out for comfort and there's, there's not, there's nothing there's nothing to reach out to. Yeah. So now my brain is detoxing off of, okay, I, I want to go back. I want to go back. But, but then every time I do, I collect data. Ooh, that was painful. Ooh, that was painful. So, so as I, this is one of the biggest struggles that women in my group, this is probably the biggest point of healing is learning not to go back. Because those are not the people who can fulfill that longing, that deep, deep sense of longing and belonging that you have. It's good to have that. That's God created us for that. But that's not the person that you can go back to to get that. Right. It took me so long to figure out, man, if my parents would just act the way I want them to, then everything would be fine. Oh, if my husband would just act the way I want him to, then everything would be fine. (laughs) But, but we have to detox off of going back to that and realizing I'm not going to get what I need over there. How, as the adult, how do I meet my own needs? Where can I go to get my needs met? And then that's when we start we start dealing with those distorted beliefs and making a plan for, okay, now I can create meaning out of this evil, evil, evil thing that happened. I can rebuild my foundation from the stones that other people have thrown at me. Yeah. Well, and this gets into a whole nother, when we could do a whole separate podcast about just about like reconstructing what you believe about God. Yes. Oh, and that is a big that's what I focus on a lot in my women's groups because um, the spiritual abuse that I endured, um, I I went through a period when I was being isolated. I I said I I said God, I hate you. I hate you so much, and I hate yeah. you. Yeah. I hate you. And people like women. I when I tell women that they get scared. Like, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that out loud. You're gonna, you're gonna get struck by lightning. But uh, you know what? God already knows. And the thing is, when a woman says, "I hate God," 
that's not what she's saying. She's right. saying, I can't trust anybody. I am desperate for you to show me if you're safe. Exactly. God, are you safe? Can I trust you? Can I really? And and what I realized is all along, I I never I never really knew the real God. They ruined that for me. That's right. That's they right. Ruined it. I didn't know who he really was. Well, and they didn't now, even worship. Oh, they didn't even worship the oh, real God. Yes. They worshiped and, like this uh, this God that was made in their own image, which was yes. very abusive. Well, and it's and it and it's the God of tradition and image. Yeah. It's the God of man-made man-made church rules. It's not even it's not even Jehovah. It's not. <laughs> There's a book. I, I have to throw this in here. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's not on Amazon. You, you can only, um, I just Googled it the other day because someone was saying, where can I buy this book? It's called A Spiritual Evolution. And gosh, um, I'm not, I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember the, the name of the author. And unfortunately, there's other books. Hold on just a quick second. I got to go. You start yeah. talking, you blab. I'll be right oh. back. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I, there's another book that has really um, helped me. It's called The Joyful Journey. And it's, it's with um, Dr. Jim Wilder and Living from the Heart that Jesus Gave You. And um, when we learn to connect to joy as survivors, um, some of those distorted beliefs um, can kind of break off and we build our relational um, circuits to be able to connect to God. So once we can have emotional experiences with God, those walls, um, those self-preservation walls kind of start coming down and we can see that we have a track record with God over time that he is safe. But we need those relational circuits to be turned on in order to access God. And we can't do that unless we feel safe. So at one point, I remember in my journey, I I literally said to God, okay, I've never, ever, ever been able to trust a man. It's so sad to me that I literally have no framework for what a godly man is. None, none whatsoever. I have no framework for what, for what love is. And I, and I told God, I said, I can't trust someone that I don't know. So prove it, prove to me who you are. Prove to me through your behavior how you treat your daughters. And boy, once I prayed that, it's like I started collecting. Uh, Dr. Sherry Keffer calls them um, God sightings. But for me, it's so much more personal. Like I started collecting these moments of goodness or like these love letters of, of like ways that God pursues my heart. Like a really simple example the other day, I keep forgetting to order legal pads because I use them at work. And I'm just, you know, wandering around in the staff lounge. And there on the table are two brand new legal pads. And they're pink, which makes it even better. <laughs> and, I just, and I say, and I say to the Lord, like, oh my gosh, Lord, I, I needed these. You knew that I need, I didn't even pray about it. They just, they're here. And they, <laughs> and it's like, you know, there's a worship song that says, I've never known a love like this. And, you know, when I sang that before, it was like, yeah, whatever, that has no meaning for me. But now it's like, no, literally, I've never known a love like this before. I've never, like, I've never experienced, what if that was a husband? And he said, oh, honey, I realized, you know, I looked in your work bag and you ran out of legal pads. So I picked some up for you. Here you go. 
And it's like, when, when we think about God pursuing us in love like that, it's, we now have emotional connection to the scripture that we read. When I read, God gives his children good gifts. He does not withhold anything good from his children. I have an emotional memory of that verse with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I have literally experienced that. And, And the more a woman who has been betrayed can collect those moments of goodness and see that God is for you. He loves you. He's so in love with you. You are his daughter. He loves you so much. And we just start collecting all of these things. Like another story, I moved into my house and I just started thinking, man, you know, playing the piano when I was a little girl really helped me cope. Gosh, I'd love to get a piano sometime. One week later, my realtor texted me and she said, hey, my clients are getting rid of their piano. And I thought of you, would you like a piano? And, and it's just, you know, not to say that God is a magical genie because I didn't pray for any of these things. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we watch a track record of faithfulness over time. And we see, just like we say to the addict, I believe your behavior and not your words. God's mm-hmm. words have been so distorted for women, so distorted. They have been used against her to keep her trapped yeah. and belittled. So we, what's so sad is we can't believe God's words anymore. Yeah, that's exactly somebody, it. That's exactly it. annihilated them. We can't yes. believe God's words. So now all I have is his behavior. All I can watch is his behavior. I don't believe the words. I believe your behavior. That's and the father, the father will show you that. He will show you. That his behavior towards you is good. It is kind. It is gentle. It is loving and it is protecting if we train our brains to watch for that. Yeah. And the more we connect to those memories and those moments, the easier it is to connect, um, to connect, uh, you know, in prayer or trying to learn to read the Bible again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Um, I just want to say. I did. I have the name of the book. So, and I was going to say too, this book is good for people who are going along with your idea of God's behavior. This yeah. book answers a lot of questions about, about God's behavior. This man who wrote it comes out of the same kind of background that you and I come out of and just seeing so much hypocrisy that brought up all of these questions about God and why he does what he does and what, and it doesn't make any sense in so many ways. And he asks, this book goes through, it's very easy to understand, but he goes through and he asks those questions and then he acknowledges all of the things that he used to believe about God. And then he turns each thing on its head and shows a true picture of who God actually does reveal himself to be. And it's absolutely been so healing for me and my uh, idea of God. And even, um, so anyway, the name of the book is called A Spiritual Evolution, and it's written by John, spelled Mm J-O-H-N, McMurray, M-A-C-M-U-R-R-A-Y. And you can, if you just Google it, you will find his website, um, which I can't remember what it is now. But if you Google the book, the name of the book and the author, you'll find his website. And then you can buy the book on his website. That's so good. But it's it's just, it's a great book. And I don't know about you, but I, um, 
we have to wrap this up, but yeah. I don't, I don't go to church anymore, not because of COVID, but just because right. I just don't yeah. go. I haven't found a safe place where yeah. I feel safe. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Do, yeah. are, do have you found a place where no. you landed or? Nope. nope. I do okay. not go to church. Um, I love the quote. I have had to walk away from the church to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. as soon as I step in the door, my, my hairs on the back of my neck yes. <laughs> stand up. I can't, I can't do it. Um, yeah. Uh, but I love Jesus and, um, I love, I love people. I love his people. Yeah. I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. yeah, You have a big heart. (laughs) Rochelle, you're a beautiful Christian woman and you are representative of literally hundreds of thousands of beautiful Christian women who are, have been used, chewed up and spat out and left to rot by the side of the road. But you know what? Not one of us is going to rot. We are all rising. We are the true church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's right. He always leaves a remnant of his people. Yes. He really does. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm excited because um, for those of you who are listening, Rochelle and I are, she's going to actually do a workshop within the Flying Free Sisterhood program right now. We're going to go and record that. So um, that program is closed at the time of this um, episode, but you can get on the waiting list for that. It opens up in the spring and the URL to get on the waiting list is just joinflyingfree.com. Joinflyingfree.com. That's it. So go over there, hop on the waiting list, and then we'll let you know when it opens up. It's going to be, I think, sometime in April. So, um, and then you'll have access to Rochelle's workshop as well as dozens of other expert workshops. And that's only the snowflake on the top of the iceberg Mm -hmm. of what that program has for you. So head over to joinflyingfree.com and check that out. And then also I want to just request that if this podcast is meaningful to you and if it's been helpful to you, share this episode, but also go over to Apple iTunes or Apple podcasts. Now I think it's just called Apple podcasts and leave a rating and review so that that, that lets Apple podcasts know that this podcast is important and relevant for women, for Christian women. And then they will show it um, to more Christian women who need to hear these, the kinds of things that Rochelle just shared with us today. So again, thank you, Rochelle, for joining us. Appreciate your time. And thank you for all for listening. And until next time, fly free.